Thanks for joining us for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. Journey Living is a radio broadcast featuring the Bible teaching of Shannon Meyer, whose passion is to help women walk with God through the trials and challenges of life. Now, here's Shannon. How many of you have watched a moment come and go and when you realized that it was truly an opportunity that passed you by? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a potential marriage partner, a job offer, or a sale on your favorite shoes. Maybe it was an opportunity to travel and you were too fearful of what could happen. And so you happened to forfeit your chance for adventure and stayed home and watched the grass grow and then terribly regret it the whole time you stayed there. Maybe your window of opportunity came after high school to travel and everyone insisted that you go straight into college. So you forfeited the free years of life with no restrictions and found yourself knee-deep in studies and syllabuses and mourned not taking that year to go on an expedition of a lifetime. All of us have in one way, shape, or form have passed by a window of time. Drop the ball on opportunity to skepticism or fear, leaving us regretting every second for the rest of our lives. Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book in the Bible that tells us that there is a time for everything, an opportune time to do anything and everything. It talks about the right time for giving birth and laying the dead to rest, a time to plant and a time to reap the harvest for your hard work. Yes, there's even a time to kill and another to heal things up, a right time to destroy and another to construct or rebuild something that was once destroyed. There's always a time to cry and one to laugh and a time to cheer as well as lament and be sad. There is a time to make love and another to abstain. Yes, the time to embrace is very important, but then there's also that time to let go of things that you hold so tightly. There's a time to rip out and mend up. And of course, there's a time to love and another to hate, as well as a time to wage war and another to make peace. You see, God created time, and in the end, it doesn't matter because he is the author and creator of time, and what he says will go. So I want to pose the question with you today. What are you doing with all your time? Are you making the most of it like the writer of Ecclesiastes says to do? Or are you so caught up in what might happen, what could happen, or are you simply paralyzed that anything will happen, that nothing will ever happen? All of us, young or old, are made for something very specific for our lifetime. If you're still here taking in air and taking up space, there is a purpose for you. God has a plan for your life, no matter how insignificant you feel. Some of us feel like, what am I contributing to this earth whatsoever? Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you stay home and just wipe noses all day and change diapers. Or maybe you push motor parts across the factory line and What does that really matter in the end? Maybe your career seems so insignificant, but God sees it totally a different way. Maybe you feel as though you aren't making a difference in anyone's lives. Your kids are gone. You're at an age that you may not work or may even be a widow or widower, and you simply are living out the last of your days with rest and leisure, possibly even in loneliness. Whether your life is full of kids and chaos or quiet and tranquility, God has you right here in the exact place that you live for a specific reason, time, and purpose. Many of you have heard the story of Esther and how she saved a nation of Jews from being annihilated. 
She was brought into the kingdom to save her people for such a time as this. All of us are Esther in one way, shape, or form, man or woman. God has placed you right here at this exact moment in time for a very powerful purpose. Who knows? It may even be to save a nation. Now, you may have never been brought to the king's palace and presented with such a task as Esther, but you may be the mother or the father of a great leader who someday will save a nation or a county or even a state. Maybe you will raise up a child who will change the trajectory of its community or his or her school. God can do more with one person who is sold out for him and him alone than a mega church on steroids just coming in Sunday after Sunday to enjoy the lights and sounds of a beautiful building and its surroundings. Remember, Jesus took 12 men and changed the entire world, just 12. And the kicker is, they didn't have social media or planes or trains or even automobiles. They had two feet or a donkey. They shared the good news by word of mouth by going from town to town. They didn't have the outlets that we have at our disposal today. We can tweet out a message in a second for the rest of the world so they can read it in the next second. These men changed nations who hated Christians and fed them to the lions for fun. (laughs) They hung from crosses and beheaded Christians for sport. Being a follower of Jesus was not popular in the day. Wearing the latest Jesus saying wasn't a wise thing to do either. Or even if you were like the Pharisees and had the laws and commandments down pat, you were still ostracized if you claimed to be the follower of the Messiah. So if you have a minute or two, I would love to talk with you about your time and how you're using it to glorify God. We are all given the same 60 seconds in an hour, 24 hours in a day, and the same seven days in a week. Have you ever seen someone get so much done in a week that you wonder if they ever sleep? And yet another is given the same amount of time, but they seem as if they get seemingly nothing done at all. They waste time and find that the world is passing them by, and all they do is complain about that every day. They live with regret and sadness that they know they have wasted many years of their own lives. They wish they could do something to change it, but instead of doing something, anything, they do nothing and simply join the ranks of complainers and waste away day by day. Well, listen to what the Bible says about living this way. It comes from a lesson from the ant in the Proverbs. You lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. Poverty is your permanent house guest. Wow, that pretty much says it. God says, get busy and get to work. And if you don't know how, just stop and watch an ant colony. They will show you exactly how you should do it. I love the writer of Proverbs when he talks about that ant because he doesn't even have a leader. The NIV says it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, meaning he does it on his own. How many of you work the same with your boss present? Do you perform to your highest level when they are watching? Sure you do. 
The ants work hard regardless if anyone is looking. They are strategic, they are practical, and they are assertive. I bet the ants don't put on any airs either when they're working and building together. They just get busy doing it. They know what needs done and get about their day. It reminds me of another story in the Bible, one of my favorite characters, Nehemiah. He too had a great assignment set before him after the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, burnt down, and destroyed beyond saving. But Nehemiah recognized the task at hand and got busy. Now, if you have your Bibles or your phone, read with me in Nehemiah 1. It's a great story. It starts there in verse 1. It was the month of Kislev in the 20th year. At the time, I, meaning Nehemiah, was in the palace complex of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions among the Jews where they had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. Verse 3, they told me the exile survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still in rubble. The city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, obviously, I just want to stop here. Nehemiah is very distraught. He knows what lies in ruins and cries out to God out of angst and probably some disbelief. Have you ever had something destroyed in your own life? And after you've heard the bad news, you too sit down and weep and wail. You stop eating and crying out to God, begging for mercy. I know I've been there. It's not a pretty place, but it is a place where you can come into the presence of God with no judgment. Because God says he hears the cries of his children. And here it is in verse five and six. Nehemiah says, I said, God, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, loyal to his covenant and faithful to those who love him and obey his commands. Look at me, listen to me, pay attention to this prayer of your servant that I'm praying day and night in intercession for your servants. The people of Israel confessing the sins of the people of Israel And I'm including myself among those who sinned against you. Nehemiah knows to get God's attention, you must press past the average prayer of bless this food and keep my family safe, Lord. No, he prays for himself, his people, his family, his servants, and anyone else who may have sinned against God. He's begging God to hear his pleas. This, friends, is the kind of prayer you don't care what you look like or what you sound like. You just need to hear from God. Going on in verse seven, listen to how real and honest he is about his actions and those who are all involved. Says, we've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us. Haven't followed your commands and haven't respected the decisions you gave to Moses, your servant. All the same, remembering the warning you posted to your servant, Moses. If you betray me, I'll scatter you to the four winds. But if you come back to me and do what I tell you, there it is. I'll gather up all these scattered peoples from wherever they ended up and put them back in the place I chose to mark with my name to listen. Nehemiah knows they have blown it and it has one request and one request overall. God, please have mercy on us. Have you ever felt the need to pray like this? Have you ever been humbled enough to pray like this? Have you ever taken the time to pray like this? 
Because we spend so much of our time on things that truly do not matter. And what, when the wheels fall off, we often turn to something or someone else and wonder why we live in the state of frustration, fear, and anxiety. Unfortunately, it's not until the walls are destroyed, whether that be in our family walls or our health walls or personal walls, that we get serious in prayer. We know that there's nothing left. No more doing it on our own. No more manipulating. No more games. Just the real deal. No cover-ups. Just raw truth. Just between you and God. Now, let me get back to Nehemiah for a minute. Because he was the cupbearer. He had the privilege of being in front of the king more than he probably wanted to be at times. The cupbearer was not a glamorous job, but one that had great ramifications. He would be the one who would taste the king's wine to ensure that nothing harmful was in it. How would you like to have that kind of job? Because if it was poison, then guess who got to find out first? Yep, you, the cupbearer. Nehemiah was this man. So let me pick back up in the second chapter of Nehemiah. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I'm very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why would my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heavens and I answered the king, if this pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And there it is, the request to rebuild. The request has been made and the go-ahead has been granted. He even asked for extras. Nehemiah asked the king for safe passage in dangerous territory He asked for timber to rebuild the gates, and he asked for time to assess the damage. But here's his final statement. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Isn't that a great statement? Don't you always want the gracious hand of God on you? Boy, I know I sure do. Nehemiah took the time to assess the damage. He planned and he prepared. He prayed and he knew that he had a purpose of God's calling on his life for this very moment in time. What's happening in your own life, friend, at this moment in time that requires these very things of you? What do you need to sit down with a piece of paper and plan out? Is it your finances? Is it a family plan and an intervention perhaps to deal with whatever is going on and why it's all falling apart? What do you need to prepare for? Get in order. Get right. Is it retirement? A surgery? A baby? A move or change of job and location? We are all facing something. Finally, what do you need to pray about like Nehemiah? What do you need to get real about with God? Get honest and quit making excuses for. What do you need to stop covering up and come clean with? Kids are off the chain today. Do you need to get on your face and ask for forgiveness in your lack of parenting because you are too involved with your own life and get your kiddos back on track? Or is it your marriage? Even though both of you are guilty of not doing what they should, 
Would you be the spiritual leader and take responsibility and cry out to God for forgiveness for both of you? Asking God to rebuild that marriage in your family and do it his way and not with your own selfish behaviors. What has fallen apart all around you? What has been burnt to the ground, so to speak? It may even still be smoldering. What is God asking you to take time out of your normal busy schedule, assess the damage, and begin to rebuild some that is of most vital importance? You have to remember that a wall was built around a city for protection. It was to keep the bad out from intruders and armies that were coming to kill, steal, and destroy them. Sound familiar? Sure it does. John 10.10. What enemy lies outside of your four walls, whether that means literal or figurative? What reinforcements do you need to have in place? Do you need to call people in to help like Nehemiah did? It says that he set out during the night with a few others. He had not told anyone else what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem and that he took nothing else except the horse he was riding. Nehemiah took his time and he was very methodical on researching the wall and its destruction. He took stake in what it would take to rebuild the wall bigger and better. He didn't bother telling anyone at the time, which I feel was a very important factor as well. How many times have you received a word from the Lord and then you started to question it? You began to ask everyone's opinion and with each new person you encountered, you realized they had a whole new perspective. More advice brought more confusion. More thoughts, more reasons to doubt yourself at times. Nehemiah knew the less who knew, the better. I found this to be true in my own life. When I feel like God has told me to do something, I just do my best to obey without delay. Let me repeat that. I try to do my best to obey without delay. That's got to be a word for somebody today. But it is never that easy as it sounds. The enemy is never far behind to trip me up with fear and doubt. And when those emotions start to creep in, I do have to turn to my prayer partners. The less is more theory. I know they're not going to go seek to please me, but to seek to do what the Lord would have me to do. They are not in it to respond with the answer they think I want. They know my heart and the only thing they want is what God wants. This is crucial when it comes to making any kind of decision, let alone one of great significance. Less is more. Remember, when Jesus had a decision to make, where did he go? He took it to the Lord, his father. I doubt very seriously he opted out for the opinions of his disciples. He knew they were too wishy-washy and he went to the only one that mattered. So let's talk about what God's asking you to build or rebuild for the last few minutes we have here together today. Number one, think about the areas of your life that are a mess. Is there an area worse off than another? Does it take precedence over the rest of your life? Does it keep tripping you up, defeating you? What has God told you to build? Maybe everything in your life is good, but God is asking you to do something new. He wants to stretch you. He wants to create something in you and through you. Is it something that you're scared to death to do? You're worried about what other people will say or even what in the world are you thinking? Remember, When Noah built the ark, he had critics for over 120 years. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could have withstood all that criticism for so many years. I can hear from a critic now and I want to run and hide for cover. Imagine God asking you to build something that you knew nothing about and had no clue even how to create such a vessel for something the world had never even known about. There was never any need for a vessel or a ship or even a dinghy because there was no rain. God only watered the ground from the earth up instead of how we see rain today. God may be asking you to do something so far-fetched it keeps your knees knocking. I understand that completely. I'm there today. God has asked something of me as well. I have no idea how to do it or really even the timeline. Here is what I've learned. If I keep my focus on him and him alone, the work gets done little by little, brick by brick. It's when someone begins barking at me, needing me here, needing me there, that I get sidetracked and a loss of all concentration of what I'm supposed to be doing and leave my work for the Lord and go about doing something else that's totally irrelevant to my calling. Listen to Nehemiah's response when his enemies schemed against him to come down from his work after they had heard they were no longer any holes or breaches and they were all becoming non-existent. Verse six says this, when word came to Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. You see, Nehemiah could see right through to his enemy's schemes for distraction. You too will have to be wise enough to see who is for you and who is against you. And let me just share a little bit of personal advice I've learned building my own ministry. The enemy doesn't always come the way you think he will. Remember, He is a deceiver of light. The great schemer, it says, meaning he comes well lit. He can present himself with anything and everything that you think you may need. While all the while, he's simply looking for that small crack to infiltrate and get in on the inside where it's much easier to fight off than where you even think. Because when the enemy is on the inside, it is often doubly hard to remove him and keep him out. Keeping him out is one thing, but ridding him is a whole other. Nehemiah kept his friends close, but his enemies even closer. Are you doing the same? Do you have one or two people that you can confide in with your whole heart? Who sometimes knows you better than you know yourself, or at least they're not afraid to tell you so. Those are the people who will help you build and rebuild. They will have your back when the enemy is lurking and they will be the ones who will build beside you when no one else will. Sometimes it's just like Nehemiah's workers who worked with spears in one hand and a hammer in the other. They weren't afraid to get dirty and they weren't too tired to work through the night. They knew all they had was one job to do, no matter the conditions, and they did it. As a matter of fact, they did it in record time. So friend, what do you need to get busy doing? As Ecclesiastes reminds us, there is a time to build 
and there's a time to tear down. Today, we're talking about what God would have you get busy building. Think about it. Or maybe it's even rebuilding. Take stock in it. Who do you need to help you? What will you need to buy? Will you need to invest in some new tools? We all know, no matter what the job is, if you don't have the right tools, there's no way you're going to get that job done well. Do you need to cry out to God and ask for his gracious hand to be upon you? Do you need to seek his forgiveness in anything? Are you part of the reason for the destruction? What do you need to get in order first? Do you have a plan? Is there a strategy? Or have you just thought about it and said, yeah, let's go for it? A verse in Luke 14 shouts volumes to me with this very concept. It starts in verse 28. Is there anyone here who's planning to build a new house? Don't they first sit down and figure out the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Well, don't take that lightly because that's what God may be asking of you. There may be many watching to see the outcome. I'm convicted of the times where I've set out to do something and I got sidetracked and easily, I might add. God doesn't want us doing that. He wants us to be on task and staying on course with him. I'm personally in the throes of my own construction project right now. We are trying to get as much done on our own as possible. But with life always happening and certain interruptions, it's often difficult to get it completed. It can be very discouraging. But before you allow despair to set in on a daunting project, whether that's a literal building or one of your family or finances, possibly a marriage or rebuilding of relationships, maybe it's a ministry or a company, don't get too discouraged because God wants to use you in a powerful way. Regardless when God calls us to build, we need to take it seriously. We need to use our time seriously. Time management is of the essence. God is a building God. He is a creator and he is innovative. God is always making things new. Check your timetable. Are you in step with God? Or are you going on in your own agenda? Maybe you've simply lost track of time while seeking out your own wants and desires. Won't you consider punching in on his crew and time clock today? I sure hope so. Thanks for listening to Journey Living with Shannon Meyer. If you would like to hear this program again or request Shannon as a speaker, visit journeyliving.org. Join us again next Thursday morning at 9 a.m. for Journey Living with Shannon Meyer.